you know, life is complicated. The journey of life is complicated and it is not linear and it is never what you expect. And, you know, you have to rally through the bumps in the road. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a blessing. Your dream. and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Uh, listeners, I am thrilled to say that today we have Dr. Lisa Larkin. She's really a Cincinnati celebrity from the, the doctor world. Do you love how professional that was, Lisa, when I said from the doctor world? She is a women's health internist and the founder of Ms. Medicine. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy you're here today. So give us the lowdown. Where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I'm not a Cincinnati native, um, which is uncommon around here. So I we am like that, right? I am uh, a New Yorker, East Coast girl, uh, born in Philadelphia, grew up uh, in Long Island, um, educated really on the East Coast and didn't come to Cincinnati until 1991. And I will tell you, I came to the Midwest and to Ohio a little bit begrudgingly. Um, but I have to tell you that this is my home. I've been here since 1991 and I love Cincinnati and I love Ohio, um, but my roots are still New York girl. New York, New York. Okay, what town um, on Long Island? So Stony Brook, um, so pretty far out the island in Suffolk County, so about 60 miles from Manhattan. So um, at the time um, when I was growing up there, it was really quite rural. Um, My sister still lives in the house that we grew up in, um, Mm -hmm. and it is not so rural now. Um, You know, obviously population Mm -hmm. has grown, but um, it's a lovely community, university community, uh, State University of New York, Stony Brook is there, and um, my sister's actually teaching uh, high school in uh, high school in the high school we both graduated from. So, and she's raising her family there now. Did your father work for the university? So he did. Um, he was a psychiatrist by training and had a faculty appointment in the med school at SUNY Stony Brook um, and was um, active uh, practicing at the VA in Northport, the VA hospital in Northport as well. So had dual appointments. So how many generations of physicians? So actually, I'm the second. Yeah, so my um, father was the first person in his family to go to college, never mind medical school. And um, really, I'm, I'm number two. And is it just you and your sister? Yes, yes. Two girls. Two girls. And your mom, did she... My mom, my mom was a nurse. Um, uh, it's a great story. My parents met in San Francisco when my father was finishing medical school and my mother had graduated from nursing school in New York and had gone to San Francisco to take her first job and try to spread her wings. Um, and they met when he was a fourth year medical student and fell in love. And very quickly, she quit her job and moved back to Milwaukee where he was in medical school. Um, so he finished his fourth year of medical school and they got married uh, right then. Um, and I came very soon after that. So, Lisa, um, since two girls, did your dad have expectations for you as women 
Um, do you think he had high, like different and higher expectations than he would if he had had a son? So it's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Um, I would actually tell you that it was really my mother, um, that really, um, she, as a woman had tried to go mm -hmm. to medical school and in the era of her finishing college, really, that was not an option. And so ended up going to nursing school. And I think she always felt um, that she had not achieved her full potential, although she was very successful. She was a hospital administrator for many, many years and, and really had a a wonderful career as a nurse and then a nurse administrator. But I think she always felt a little, um, you know, like she had been shortchanged a little bit. So it was much more her. And I wouldn't say that she pushed me to go to medical school at all, um, really pushed. But I think she, uh, both my parents really valued education over anything mm -hmm. else. And um, I think it was really all about, um, you know, living your full potential and using education to get there. And, um, you know, medical school just kind of followed since they were both in healthcare. I mean, from a very early age, I was around patients and, um, you know, involved in what they were doing in healthcare. So I think that's what drove me to it. But it was really much more about education and tapping into, you know, your full potential. Uh, did you know that you wanted to be a doctor early on? So not as early as you would think. Um, it really mm -hmm. um, became very clear in college, but not really much more before that. Um, I think I was really just kind of more finding my way in high school. I wasn't nearly as, um, a, a, as good a student in high school as I was when I got to college and medical school and really decided that I had to kick it into high gear. Um, and, I, and so it really wasn't clear till college. Um, but I will tell you, it it was absolutely the right career decision for me, um, for sure. And you know, my daughter's now just recently graduated from medical school and is doing her internship here in Cincinnati. So she's generation mm -hmm. number three. Um, but yes, it it right. She's she's generation number three. And will she go into internal medicine? No, she would never go into internal medicine. And she would tell you that. So her father is an orthopedic surgeon. Um, and um, she actually thinks she considered surgery and even orthopedic surgery, watching her dad, um, you know, internal medicine. Um, she's actually going to do dermatology, um, which I think is actually a really good fit for her. She's doing her one-year internal medicine um, internship here at Christ Hospital in Cincinnati this year, but she's going to go back to the Mayo to do dermatology. And that, I think, really does... Um, it's a little bit of procedures and a little bit of surgery, but it also has a little yeah. bit of the internal medicine to it as well. Um, and I, I think, I think it's actually a very good fit for her. It's a mix of you both. Right. Right. A little bit. Yeah. That's cute. Okay. So, uh, you moved to Cincinnati. You, what brought you here? So actually, it was my husband, uh, my children's father, who I am now yes. remarried. Um, but uh, he, we were both at the University of Chicago. He had a faculty position, and I was doing my residency. Um, he really got tired of the academic arena, really had a good um, opportunity here to come back and join the group that he had done his sports medicine fellowship with and really um, kind of made the decision for us to come to Cincinnati. And that was um, a decision decision that at the time was very mm -hmm. challenging for me. Um, yeah. I was not really sure that I wanted to be in the Midwest at the time. And 
um, you know, uh, really had to make a big job sure. change. And it just was a, you know, a, a big transition in, in life and our relationship. And again, you know, um, I've come to absolutely love Cincinnati and obviously raised both of my children here. And I've been practicing here for a long time, but it was not something in 1991 I was very excited about. <laughs> so, um, when we talked a couple weeks ago, we had talked about, you were like, I mean, I could tell so many stories around resiliency and what you learned from it, but I'm going to let you sort of take the wheel here and maybe take us through some of those life experiences. Yeah. So, um, I think, um, resiliency is really one of the things that I would say has been what has gotten me through, um, you know, a lot of bumps in the road and, um, you know, I, I've, I've had, as we all have, um, had a bumpy life journey. Um, and yeah. not mine has not been worse than anybody else's, but certainly, you know, life is not always easy. And as I tell my children and I tell my stepchildren who laugh at me about it, actually, that, um, you know, life is complicated. Life, the journey of life is complicated and it is not linear and it is never what you expect. And, you know, you have to rally through the bumps in the road. And so, you know, I mean, my parents divorced when I was about 12. It was one of the reasons that I um, really wasn't such a good student in high school. Um, mm. It was, a, you know, a bumpy divorce as divorces are. Um, and, you know, the next bump really came actually, frankly, in college. Um, so I, as I said, I hadn't been the hardest working student. I did well because I was reasonably bright, but yeah. I didn't apply myself as much as I should. And I will never forget getting to college. And I went to Skidmore, which is a small liberal arts yeah. college in upstate yeah. New York. And I was blown away and I got a C on my first uh, chemistry exam and a D on my first English paper. And I called my parents and said, oh, my God, I'm going to fail out of college. I'm going to fail out of life. I'm going <laughs> to fail. Um, and it led me to become a very hyper student, um, but really had to really teach myself study skills and really um, realize that I was not um, quite where I needed to be in college and ended up doing, you know, very well, went on to Yale for medical school and um, did well there. But that was, again, kind of another one of those bumps where this very fear of failure came in. So let me ask you this, because I've heard about the, heard this before, and maybe it wasn't your experience. So Skidmore, you are a big fish in a little pond. Then you go to Yale. I mean, that's a lot of big fish. Right. right? So, so actually- Was that transition challenging? going from Skidmore to Yale. Yeah. So actually Yale was the perfect med school for me. Um, and actually, Why? well, so, and I can tell you, Yale was one of the, is one of the smaller med schools. So, um, my daughter actually went to Mayo, uh, which is, um, only second smallest med school in the country. So she graduated with only 50 in her class at Yale. It was okay. only a hundred, lots of medical schools across the U S are 200 or 250 students and coming from okay. Skidmore and actually the way that Yale medical school is, um, it was the perfect uh, school for me to go to. And, and I really, I fit in very well there. That was, that was actually not the hardest transition for me. How many uh, men versus women 
Yeah. So at the time, and you know, it's really shifted now where most med school classes are above 50%. Um, but I want to say, yeah, it was 28 of us, I think in the class. So a vastly different environment, um, than it is now. Did you notice it or no? Um, you know, I don't, I will tell you, um, no, to be quite transparent with you, I, I, yeah. and I didn't, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, which is it, Yale really was an amazing place for me. Um, again, much like Skidmore, it was small and it was one of those places where the faculty kind of saw my potential and really supported that. And so when I was finishing medical school, I really had the belief that I could pretty much do anything and go anywhere. And it, yeah. it wasn't until actually then that, you know, additional bumps in the road when that didn't last forever, let's just put it that way. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah no, it, it, it was a, it was a great place. Um, and I had the opportunity to do some really incredible um, research in a very well-funded NIH lab and really had a very good experience um, at Yale and would recommend Yale as a great med school. My daughter has had an amazing experience at Mayo, um, and I can't say enough about that. And she would also tell you that Mayo's the number one med school in the country, too. So she <laughs> she she brags about that, too. But, just a little uh, just a, Right, right, right. A yeah. little bit. But um, she she had a very good experience there, too. So I, I hope you don't mind me sharing the story. Um, so listeners, I was talking to a really good friend of Lisa's and I can remember where I was driving when she said, oh, I, I don't know if you know my friend, Dr. Lisa Larkin, but um, she's going through some health problems and some personal problems. And um, I just got back from going to treatment with her or something like that. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I don't know how this woman is getting through it. And so I thought maybe that I that story has stuck with me. I didn't even know you. Isn't that and so, so can you share that story? Yes. Not not the Lauren part, but that Yeah, whole yeah. Piece. No, so so and I'll I'll back up and just try to tell you a little bit. So I moved to Cincinnati quickly, right? And um, yeah. my father was killed um, a couple of years before I moved to Cincinnati. And so I had lost him at age 51. And then when I get to Cincinnati- Wait, and wait, I, wait, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. How did he, how, how did he die? Yes, yeah, so that's a, um, you know, a, a tragic, bumpy story, but he uh, was actually murdered in Chicago when he was helping me look for our apartment when I moved there for my um, residency at the University of Chicago. So that was the ending right before I graduated from medical school. So that was the ending of kind of medical school and a really, again, kind of another huge hurdle. So I was um, newly engaged moving to Chicago for my residency um, and my father's killed and you know it was really a bumpy period of time so my residency um was kind of colored by that whole um experience but again i would say my residency there yes um yes and it was you know again a, a unfortunate um unexpected um kind of like i would say those poor people in boulder colorado right so you're in yeah. the wrong place at the wrong time and life changes in one nanosecond which is um right i mean i'm i would tell you that what i experienced is very similar i'm sure to anyone who was in boulder who lived through boulder but watched people um be gunned down it was you know it was a very unexpected very similar 
um, experience, just a random, random guy who, um, you know, my dad was one of three people that were killed. Um, and you know, he, he saved my life, got me out of there, told me to leave. I didn't really realize what was going on, but again, you know, part of what carries me or drives me, I think now where I am really comes from the fact that for whatever reason I was left on this earth and I am supposed to use my gifts to their full potential, but you know, it was, bumpy it was tragic it was very hard um during that period of time and, and if you don't want to we can cut any yeah, of this no. out Did, what do you mean he pushed you out of the way yeah so um we had just looked at an apartment together we were sitting with the yeah. um agent that had just shown us we were in a very nice part in lincoln park in chicago and a guy walked in walked past us you know it was relatively i mean you wouldn't even have thought twice about it right it's like someone comes into an office where you're sitting i didn't think much about it and um all of a sudden a woman is screaming in our back office um and my father jumped up ran to the office again i didn't really realize anything was happening and he came out of the office looked at me and said get out of here right this minute and the person who had just shown us the apartment grabbed my hand and said oh that's our crazy crazy tenant we need to go get help and pulled me out into a stairwell and out into an alleyway where there was a chicago police officer sitting there it was 10 o'clock in the morning on a thursday and um, my father had tried to save the woman who the guy was after. And then my father was killed. And then a very, unfortunately, an innocent 21-year-old, 22-year-old Northwestern law student who was just coming down the stairwell. Um, but they caught him immediately. I mean, he went back to his apartment and um, was sitting there. But yeah, three, three people tragically killed. And, um, you know, again, you know, oh, I... My God. unexpected situation uh, much like boulder or those you know yeah you know we um i interviewed uh maris harold who was the uc chief of police she also was a cincinnati P police officer and now she is the chief at boulder wow um yeah wow yeah she's she has uh lived through some crazy right stuff right i uh, okay so can I ask one more question? Did you go up and try to resuscitate your dad? Yeah, no, for sure. Yes, I I ran back in and he uh, yes died died in my arms and uh, yes it was yeah. It, it, okay, how do you get through? How do you get to forgiveness on that? Seriously, how do you forgive? How are you not angry? Oh, I wouldn't say that I'm not angry or I wasn't angry. Um, you know, so after my father's killed my, my mother, I diagnosed my mother with lung cancer when I'm pregnant with my second child. So I have a two year old and I'm seven months pregnant with my second child. And I, my mother comes to visit and she's short of breath and I end up taking her to get a chest X-ray and diagnosing with her stage four lung cancer. So she died uh, when my children were very young. And between living in Cincinnati and not having parents, yeah. um, now I felt at the time, right, really kind of deprived, mad, mad. I had yeah, no help. Sure. Um, I'm raising kids in a community that is still very new to me, really trying to launch a professional career and juggle a marriage and little kids and no real help here in town. And it was a very bumpy time. And that was probably the time when I was the most angry because I felt you know, I just didn't have a lot of 
support and it was hard. Frankly, it was hard. Right. But what right. I would tell you that has has really come to pass is that when you lose your parents, it doesn't matter how old you are, it's always hard. And mm -hmm. having watched patients and my friends who are now my age, who have elderly parents, who are dealing with elderly parents in a different way, I can tell you it's really hard for them too. So as much as I was angry at the time and felt really deprived, and what I mostly feel deprived about is that neither of my children really had a relationship with either of my parents who are both really quite remarkable people. Um, mm -hmm. And, but you know, losing, losing parents at any time is hard. So I think I feel um, like life is not fair to any of us really, right? Life is not fair and there are lots of, um, bumps in the road for every single human that's out there. Um, and I've kind of made peace with that and also feel really grateful. Um, you know, my father really did save my life. Um, yeah. And I have had the opportunity to have really quite a wonderful life. Um, and that's been a gift, not always an easy life, but really a gift. And I, and I feel genuinely blessed by that. Um, can I, so, um, so fast forward to I the breast cancer. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because I have to tell you that yesterday morning, you know, I'm going through a divorce yesterday morning. I was feeling sorry for myself and for some reason, I probably, cause I knew I was going to interview you tonight and I thought, you know what, if she can go through and do what she did, which you're going to tell us in a minute. I can be brave too. Like I literally, you were my inspiration yesterday. Oh, you're you're so, sweet. And you know, you, there's, you never know what you do for people from your story. Well, everybody has a story is what I would tell you. And I, the, the other piece of what I have learned over this life and through breast cancer, actually, um, you know, as a physician, I've certainly diagnosed many patients with cancer and many patients over the years had said to me, you know, you learn, and I can tell you as a physician, it is one of the greatest gifts. You really do learn and you're, in, I've been inspired many times by my patients, but what they often said was, you know, cancer was really a gift in many ways. And I could not understand that frankly, mm -hmm. um, until mm -hmm. having my own cancer. And although there's not a person out there that has had cancer that is now living as a cancer survivor, which we all are, that would tell you that they're really happy that they had cancer and that they wish that they, they're glad that they had it. But I can tell you that there's a silver lining in it. And for me, it really, there has been a silver lining, which is in terms of how to live life and focus on purpose and, um, you know, what's really valuable and important. Um, and that has been one of the gifts of What's going through purpose? cancer. So again, it goes back to using um, uh, my skills in different ways. Um, and we all have different skill sets, but to, to help others. And in my space, you know, you said I'm a women's health internist. So I'm all about everything women's health. And there is such an unmet, there's so many unmet medical needs of women um, where we, despite, you know, being practicing this space for 30 years, we're really failing women in many, many ways. And so, um, you know, I recently launched uh, Ms. Medicine um, specifically yes. because I had this idea that, um, you know, I wanted to do more on a larger scale than just, and I say just, I don't mean it this way, but, um, you know, just take care of my local patients here, right? That I, I had a unique opportunity to try to 
actually innovate and do something differently um, on a larger scale. And we'll see. Um, definitely a startup, and you know, I, I, it's going well. But you know, in, in the startup world, you you never you never oh, say girl, you I never know. say it's it's a done deal till it's a done deal. But I'm really having fun with that, and um, you know, I'm I'm all about consumer and patient and women advocacy and um, really trying to um, advance high quality evidence-based women's health care and really make an impact on improving the care for women, not just within my practice. And that's what Ms. Medicine is all about. Oh, and listeners, although Lisa isn't totally on board yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to get her there. She's going to start a podcast uh, all around this topic, and I'm really excited about it. Oh, thanks. Well, you and inspired you me. To... You inspired me to think about doing that as well as part of right uh, a broader reach um, to really educate and empower women. Um, you know, so that they can get the best healthcare, the healthcare that they deserve. And um, yeah. you know, our healthcare system is troubled, um, and so it really requires all women to be really good advocates. And you have to have a level of health literacy and kind of understand. Mm. Right? None of us, uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And then when right. you know, sometimes you can do things a little bit differently. So that's hopefully what the podcast will be—kind of another vehicle for doing that. Yeah. So. Okay, so so because I teed it up around the story of getting sick and the yeah no stuff. so I, I can certainly go go back and I mean that yeah. is really the that was kind of the most challenging crazy really yeah. time right so um, you know after a twenty five year marriage for lots of reasons it was really um, I finally finally I I made the decision after twenty five years that it really was time for us to separate and it was you know a big decision my my uh youngest my son was graduating high school and um you know both and my daughter was already in college and you know made the decision to separate and move out and i had moved out about 10 months um prior to my own breast cancer diagnosis and I was just turning 50 um, and had no family history of breast cancer, right? Which I go around lecturing all the time that, you know, you don't have to, 70% of women don't have any family history of breast cancer and that we really have to do a better job identifying women at high risk for breast cancer so we can do a better job talking to them about lifestyle to lower the risk and enhance screening. And we're not doing enough of that. And like myself, it was kind of out of the blue. I, I have a strong family history of lung cancer, not of breast cancer. and really it was out of the blue. And I had um, locally advanced breast cancer, uh, it was not small. I had very dense breasts. I had chest wall involvement and a positive lymph node and I needed really aggressive treatment. Really aggressive. Right. And, um, and it was a year of really, you know, not fun. Chemo, radiation, multiple surgeries. P.S. I had to have back surgery in the middle of that too. All, oh, I didn't know that. Oh. All in the middle of a divorce. And P.S. at the same time had just opened the Women's Center at UC, had a very big position there. Um, and so was juggling kind of a very high-powered position at UC, uh, being in the middle of a divorce and now breast cancer. Oh my God. And so it was, it was bumpy. 
it was bumpy uh, for sure. And several things came out of that. Um, you know, I said the silver lining was, you know, it was one of those moments right after I was diagnosed when I would tell you that I had never felt more loved in my entire life, which is the outpouring mm. of support from friends who you know, um, and who I do have the most amazing friends and frankly, amazing patients. I mean, it was, it was, and I can, I, I can tell you, I mean, I got some of the most um, touching cards, handmade cards, notes, baskets. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm used to being the one to try to help others. And right. so this experience of actually really being taken care of was receiving it. right. was really something that I hadn't really allowed myself to do before. And it was really quite overwhelming actually. And my friends, mm -hmm. I, I, got a lot of my care at Memorial Sloan Kettering for complicated reasons. Um, the divorce, my family's there, you know, never having been a patient here, um, really kind of wanted to have some privacy, but my closest friends, um, they stayed with me, traveled with me, didn't leave me alone. It was really, it was really quite amazing it was really a gift and tell the lauren story yeah tell the lauren so, story. so my friend lauren who many people know lauren because you can't not know lauren if you live in cincinnati so she's one of the most remarkable women that i know frankly and she is completely different than me um this is one of the other silver linings which is that i have these amazing friends who are not as OCD as me and who are not as <laughs> like, you know, they're different. And I benefit every single day from this um, different way of living life. And Lauren is the most generous giving human being on the planet. Um, and, uh, you know, I've known her since her, she, she purchased my house in Indian Hill um, when she was moving back to Cincinnati with her husband um, coming back from Seattle. And so I met her before she had children, just when my children were very little. And actually, yeah. I always tell the story that I was the next person after her parents to hold her daughter, Isabel, because Aww. when Lauren got home from the hospital, she called me to come over and help her because she was having trouble breastfeeding. And so I got to meet Isabel, who is still now, um, you know, a part of the family, you know, I, Lauren's yeah. kids, I'm very close with as well. But when I had my breast cancer and I was traveling to New York for the first time by myself, Lauren's driving me in the car and says, well, who's meeting you in New York? And I said, well, nobody's meeting me in New York. I'm getting off the plane. I'm going to the hotel. I'm having dinner. I have all my tests tomorrow. My sister's going to come in for the weekend, but I'm like, fine. I, I like got it all going on. It's no big deal. She's like, oh my God, you're going by yourself. I'm like, yeah. She's like, no, you're not. She got on her cell phone, called her friends. Can you pick up my kids at school? Can you take them overnight? I'm going to go to New York with Lisa. I'm going to come back Saturday. I, she needs me to go with her and walked up to the Delta counter and said, I need a ticket to get on this flight with this woman. And can you give me one of those bags with the, uh, the little um, toothbrush and the toothpaste? Because I don't have anything oh um, to go with me. And, and it was March and Lauren had jeans and flip-flops on. She had flip-flops. She literally got on a plane insane. the first week of She's March insane. with flip-flops on and went to New York with me. The first thing we did is we got off the plane and we bought her new sh shoes because it was freezing cold. Right. And uh, she stayed with me in New York for two days until my sister got there. I went to my test so with me. So I, I am curious, you know, the, the it's like that that story of the, the teacher becomes the student, the caregiver becomes the one that's cared for. How, how did you, um, do you remember 
kind of um, working through that in your head? Because I am very much of a caregiver and I've noticed like I hate troubling my friends when I'm sad and, and they're like, what are you talking about? We call you, but it, it was a little bit of a shift. So I'm curious, was it for yeah. you? Um, yeah, for no question. Um, you know, being a doctor and then becoming a patient. And, you know, it's weird becoming a patient of what I do in practice, right? So I say when I lecture now in the community, right? Like I'm living my own patient population, a menopausal woman with hot flashes, with sexual dysfunction, I'm a cancer survivor. <laughs> like this is what I do in my profession all the time, right? And I, I'm living that patient population. And so the, but the, you know, the experience, I had never been ill really before. And then, you know, I had more testing and more things happen in the, very short period of time that, you know, that was probably more the transition. And it frankly was one of the reasons that I actually didn't want to do that in Cincinnati. Um, it really was Why? because, um, you know, in the position I had at UC, I didn't really want to be vulnerable and really, I wanted to be a patient or I needed to be a patient. Um, and I didn't really want the other physicians who I was working with so closely at the Women's Center, it was this weird mm -hmm. dynamic for me and my family was back East. And so, you know, that was actually one of the things that I really made the decision to do at the time, which was frankly not very well received by the, my employer, but it was really the right decision for me and was part of that but for I me of letting me made, be, be a patient. You, I love it. Yeah. And I love that you made the decision that works for you. And I, um, I admire that. And, uh, you know, yeah, I thanks. It, it, I, I will tell you, I got pushback from that and it was hard for me. Um, and yeah. you know, like I would tell everyone, you know, you don't know what it's like to be in someone's shoes until you're really in their shoes. Right. So it's very yeah. easy to look from the outside and be judgmental or critical about someone's decision. Um, and that, even that experience of um, feeling, frankly, quite judged for my decision um, uh, has made me less judgmental as I am older mm. as well, right? Because you don't, you know, all of us, we don't really know. And, and honestly, through the George Floyd, um, you know, situation again, like really um, this past summer, you know, learning, learning again and being very mindful that I don't know that I've paid enough attention to kind of some things about what it's like to really walk in someone else's shoes and not really owning that as much as I could or should. Um, and that really was true when, when I was um, a patient, that that was one of the other lessons that I learned out of the whole experience. So one of the things that I love asking um, guests is through, like, through your struggles at all, through those bumps, did you ever feel your parents with you or any cool things that happened like spiritually that, um, that showed up for you? So, so I have friends who have lots of, um, stories like that. I can tell you when my mother died, the evening that she died, that, um, we were with her, um, there was a very specific thing that happened just as she was dying. And that was um, very powerful. Um, and then more recently, really, it through my breast cancer, it was really my dad. Um, it was really, again, kind of um, kind of the belief, right? You know, you're you learn hardship 
you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And actually, yeah. I really on many levels believe that, although it, you know, it's hard going through it. And that's obviously what I said to you too about your own circumstances, right? Which is you, when you get to the other side, you're actually going to see that there was a reason that that kind of all happened. And, you know, again, it's not that I'm happy that I'm a breast cancer survivor, but again, I went back to the place that um, you know, it wasn't really my time yet and that this was going to yeah. teach me something and open doors differently. And it did, frankly, I mean, one of the other things, and I, and I know I shared this with you is right. I, I met my now husband just days after, and I shouldn't say I met him. I reconnected with my now husband just days after my own breast cancer diagnosis. Right. So I was in the middle of, Oh, a, I didn't know that. No, you didn't tell me that part. That's yeah. adorable. Oh no, it's actually, it's an amazing story. And many of my friends and they're, you know, tired of sharing it, but yes. So I had been on an airplane in November before my breast cancer diagnosis, which was the end of February. Um, and I was flying to Los Angeles for a professional meeting. And my now husband was flying to Japan through LA to go be a visiting professor in Japan. And we both happened, it was a Saturday morning. We're both in like sweats. Yeah. We both got upgraded to first class. We both sat next to each other. Stop and, it. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him, really seen him at all. Um, we're, he's an emergency medicine physician who's been at UC since 1991. Because when I was at UC in 1991, he was my intern, my first intern, my first month of being an attending physician. And oh he's now stayed at faculty at UC. But anyway, so was on this airplane with him, connected with him, didn't see him between that airplane flight. And then right after my breast cancer diagnosis, he started texting me and I ignored him because I thought he was one of the many people who were calling to say, I'm so sorry, I heard you had breast cancer. Um, and finally I called him back because he was adamant and he did not know that I had breast cancer <laughs> at all and was calling to say, you know, it's really time and I'm ready. I'd really like to have coffee with you. And I'd really like to go out. And I said, well, I'm really on my way on Thursday to go to Sloan Kettering to have my mastectomy. So I'm not really sure that this is really the right time to have coffee, but he was very insistent. So we had coffee before I left. And then while I was at Sloan Kettering in New York, my friends that were there with me, my other closest friend um, from Lauren kept saying, you know, Lisa, you have a lot of friends and I think I know them all. And like, but who's this guy art that keeps calling me to oh check on God. you. And, you know, I said, I don't know. He's a friend of mine. I don't really know who he is right now. Um, and then, um, <laughs> the day I got back after, you know, uh, uh, some rehab and some rest probably four weeks after my mastectomies. Um, he showed up at my door of my little house with breakfast at six in the morning and cooked Stop me it. breakfast and went to work. And we started dating after that. And it was, he's my other gift from having breast cancer. I say he, um, he was really like, uh, yeah, he, he is still the gift in my life and the gift, uh, for having breast cancer. So for sure. Um, yeah. And so again, you know, you, you, there's silver linings to all of this. Um, didn't know that part. That yep. is so adorable. And I think with that, we're going to close it because oh. it was a really good end. Oh, thank is there you. anything, anything else that you want to share that maybe we didn't talk about? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, for anyone that's having troubles, I mean, I would honestly just 
try to encourage everyone to think that there's brighter days ahead because there really are and regardless of what the circumstances are really and like even those right poor people in boulder who have tragically lost their loved ones right it's like that that pain i mean that pain is horrible and i can relate to that pain um for sure mm -hmm. and i remember at the time i uh, the priest that came in tried to tell me that this was God's will and being very angry and not really understanding that. And of course, there's never a good reason. That's never a good thing. But, um, you know, there's lessons to be learned and the resiliency part is really important. Um, and really trying to remember that you really, as bad as it is, you can get through it. And there are brighter days ahead because that really is the truth. And I will tell you, I've seen that with my patients. Um, you know, mm -hmm. patients are the most inspiring inspiring thing at times um, and it's really a privilege to be a doctor actually in that way because um, you have these amazing relationships and learn so much about life and love and strength um, through my patients too here here perfect ending thank, thank you. you for being on the show thank you so much for having me I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.